Our gig in the industrial Canadian town of Trail was a surreal affair. I'd cut myself just half an hour before going on stage. Not deliberately. I mean, hanging around with Michael for days on end can be a bit grueling, but it's not that bad. I cut my lip while shaving. I decided half an hour before setting off for the gig that I would have a shave. I thought that I'd have plenty of time, but the razors that I bought were so blunt. I think the mistake was buying disposable razors in the airport. They probably blunt them deliberately for safety reasons. I'd seemingly chosen the worst place ever to buy a razor. I hadn't had a shave for months. After 15 minutes, the razor had barely scratched the surface. Well, actually, that's probably not the best choice of phrase, given that all this razor seemed to be capable of doing was somehow cutting the face beneath all the hair while then leaving the hair more or less fully intact. There was now only 15 minutes to go before we had to leave. I would have to pick up the pace. I grabbed another disposable razor and began to frenziedly shave. This razor seemed to be more effective than the previous one. I plied my face with shaving foam and began to wildly take swipes at my beard and I mean that in both senses of the term as I was both shaving and shouting profanities at it because it wasn't shifting anywhere near fast enough. 20 minutes later the beard was off but I'd made a gash in the top of my lip which was pouring with blood. There wasn't time to do anything about it except hold a tissue against it. Half an hour later we were on stage and my mouth was still pouring with blood. If this had been back at home in Britain, at a folk club or a festival or an art centre, where most of the audience know who we were, then this could have been really funny. If I'd come on stage with my face pouring with blood in front of a late-night festival crowd, then it would be hilarious. We could make something of it. But when an audience have no idea who you are, have never seen you before, and you're in a park at a council-run family event, then the reception that you get is very different. And it happened yet again. We were introduced as an Irish band. The first thing that I planned to do when we came on stage was make a joke about this, but when I opened my mouth, blood came out, which kind of changed everything. Whether we were Irish or not was neither here nor there to the audience, who were more interested and distracted by the man standing on the stage dripping with blood. It was a strange setup anyway, regardless of the bloodbath element. It was an outdoor event, and the audience had all brought deck chairs to sit on and food to eat. There was meant to be nearly a thousand people in attendance, but the crazy storm earlier, and the storms that were currently going on only a couple of miles away, had apparently put a lot of people off. The 200 people that did make it were interspersed all over the park, and no one was sitting very close to us. This kind of gig is especially difficult for me, because the distance from the audience to the stage, along with the fact that it's outdoors, means that I can't really hear the audience responding and unlike the other two I'm not able to get any visual feedback about how the gig is going either. Add all this to the fact that my mouth was pouring with blood and you can maybe understand why I felt pretty uncomfortable with things. On top of that the sound wasn't very good at all we came onto the stage having just been introduced as Irish to the sound of deafening feedback this probably added to the audience's confusion even more. They thought that they were getting an Irish folk band, but then they got deafening feedback and an Englishman spitting blood at them. And they maybe started to wonder whether the organisers had booked the wrong group and had accidentally got an English death metal band instead. The gig was by no means a disaster though. People were clearly enjoying the music and there were many people who were laughing at my blood mouth saga. Someone threw some plasters onto the stage. I tried wearing a plaster, but it proved almost impossible to sing with, as it clung to my face and the blood congealed underneath, meaning that I could hardly move my lips. On Wednesday night, we stayed in a youth hostel, but I'm not going to tell you about that, because nothing interesting happened there. Our last youth hostel stay, however, was in Bath, back in England, and was a rather interesting experience due to the people that we were sharing a room with. 
We arrived at the hostel early evening just to quickly check in before heading to the art centre where we were gigging that night. When we entered our bedroom, the lights were off and the curtains were closed. We were about to turn the light on when a towering figure stepped into view. It's best to leave the lights off, he whispered in a French accent. That's what that was. That was a French accent. I assume that the French accent was because he was French, as opposed to just being eccentric and choosing to adopt a French accent just for the hell of it. Although his first sentence had been rather strange, so maybe he was just very eccentric and enjoyed confusing people with an array of accents and peculiar whispered statements. He's meditating, whispered the man, still with a French accent. Yeah, definitely still with a French accent. I'm sure you'll all agree there. We looked around the room. There was another figure perched on top of one of the bunk beds, motionless. He sits there for hours, not moving, but he doesn't like it if the light goes on. He gets angry. Why do you say he gets angry? I whispered. What do you mean? He just shouts, replied the man. Surely the whole point of meditating is to become a calmer and more centred person. Unless the meditation is working, but it's just that he was an exceptionally angry man before he tried it. Maybe if someone had disturbed his meditation a few weeks ago, he'd have just punched them in the face. But now, thanks to this man's hours of meditation, he's managed to control his reactions to merely shouting. If he can keep the meditation going, in another month he might have reached the stage where he just writes the person who disturbs him a strongly worded letter. The four of us were all heading out of the hostel, and so as we walked through the corridor, we chatted to the whispering Frenchman, who, now that we were out of the room with the meditating man in it, had stopped whispering, although he still chose to keep the French accent. So I was beginning to suspect that he might actually be French after all. He said that he was going out drinking with some friends who had moved to England from his home of France. He hadn't seen them for a long while, but it was going to be a big night, lots of drink and lots of food. He'd probably not get back until late, but I'll try to not disturb you. When I get in, he said. So long as you don't turn the light on, we should be all right, I replied. He asked us what we were up to, and we told him we were doing a gig. He asked us what kind of songs we sing, and we mentioned the fact that we sing a French song. He asked us what it was called, and we told him, Pique la Belaine. He looked confused and concerned. Ah, okay. Kill the whale, he said, sounding worried. I did an excellent job of uh, conveying the worry in his voice there, and not only doing the French accent, but also conveying worry as well. Brilliant acting. I'm a vegetarian, he added, sounding angry. And then he briskly walked out of the hostel. The song isn't a song glorifying whale killing, nor does it describe the whale killing in great and brutal detail. It's a song about a whaleman who is longing to be back at home in the arms of his love, but instead has to plough through the sea, hunting whales to make money. The verses are all about his thoughts of despair and longing, which is countered by the chorus. A cry of, Pique la baleine, kill the whale, which brings us back sharply into the reality of his immediate situation. But this Frenchman hadn't waited around for an explanation. He seemed to immediately jump to the conclusion that we were passionate whale haters who loved whale death so much that we even learned how to sing about it in other languages. Maybe his racing brain had then gone to imagine that our entire repertoire consisted of songs about animal cruelty from all over the world. A jovial Icelandic song about abattoirs. A Polish song celebrating vivisection. What a night it was going to be. Sharing a room with an angry meditator who hates light and a French vegetarian who thinks that we're on a par with Hitler. Except, of course, Hitler was a vegetarian. So, worse than Hitler. When we got back to the hostel that night, the meditating man was asleep in the dark. The French vegetarian had not yet returned. So, we crept into our beds in the dark and tried to get to sleep, which wasn't at all easy, due to the grumpy meditating man's snoring at an impressively loud volume. It was even worse for Michael, who was in the bunk bed below him, and the mattress, being very thin, was vibrating and pulsating with the rumble of the snores, causing the bed springs 
things to resonate and vibrate along with the snoring. But Michael wasn't the most unfortunate one that night. I was about to get a much worse deal. I lay awake for hours, unable to sleep due to the noise of the snoring old man. Then I heard the door open and in came the French vegetarian. He tried his best to quietly creep through the room in the dark, but he completely failed to pull this off, crashing into each bed several times. He was clearly right about the night involving lots of drink, as there was a strong smell of alcohol which appeared as soon as he'd entered the room. He blindly and drunkenly crashed into my bed for the third time, and then angrily whispered some words in French, which I assume were swear words fueled by his crashing into the bed, but I couldn't be sure that it wasn't something like, and now it's time to kill the evil animal-hating British bastards. I braced myself in case I needed to defend myself from an attack, but there was no attack, at least not a physical one, although I was about to get a very unnerving attack of the senses. The man began removing his clothes right next to where I was lying. He removed his shirt and dumped it on the floor. Then he removed his trousers and my nose was assaulted by an acrid fart smell. He'd clearly also predicted correctly when he'd said that it was going to be a night with lots of food. He presumably stocked up on his vegetarian fare, and as he bent down to remove his socks, his backside pretty much in my face, he let out a really slow fart. And it was so slow that he might have not even noticed. I could hear its low buzzing right next to my face. And then the smell came. I wanted to turn around and face the other way, but for some stupid reason, I felt too awkward to do this. How terribly British is that? I would rather endure a man farting in my face than risk embarrassing him by doing something that might make him feel self-conscious. So I just lay there, facing his backside, holding my breath and praying that he would move away soon. Maybe this was a deliberate attack to get me back for my animal-hating ways. Maybe this was an animal rights protest. If it was a protest, then it certainly fell under the category of a dirty protest. The man eventually straightened himself and began to attempt the journey up the ladder and into bed. This man was very well built, and this, along with his inebriation, meant that every step on the ladder caused the whole bed to shake. I was convinced that he was going to fall off the ladder and land with his fart-ridden backside smack bang on my face. I turned onto my other side. Eventually, after a lot of shaking, he made it into bed, but the fun wasn't over yet. While Michael's bed was shaking to the sounds of an angry old man snoring, mine was pulsating to the sounds of a drunk French vegetarian man's farts. As I mentioned earlier, the mattress was very thin, meaning that I was treated to both the smell, the sound and the vibration of this man's farts. I tried to fall asleep, but it was impossible with all of this going on. The drunken French vegetarian methane machine, on the other hand, had absolutely no problem with getting to sleep, as in mere minutes of him getting into bed, he began to snore, perhaps even louder than the grumpy old man in the bunk bed adjacent. The sound that was filling my ears was like some really odd experimental piece of music, as if John Cage had taken a record number of mushrooms and had decided to compose a piece involving arrhythmic sequences of snores and farts. Eventually, sleep came, but it didn't last long, as at about 5.30 in the morning, I woke to hear an even stranger sequence of sounds. The man above me was still farting and snoring, but above that was another sound. It was chanting. The grumpy old man was once again perched on the top of his bunk, holding a book and chanting in Latin. The weird incongruity of everything was just too much. Farting, snoring, and Latin chanting. It was clearly too much for Sean and Michael too, because I heard them both trying desperately to stifle their laughter. 
I was doing the same. We quickly whispered to each other, all agreeing that we should get out of there. Five minutes later, we were in the car, heading home. The Canadian town of Calgary is a place clearly on the up. Never has there been so much excitement in this town. Not only does this weekend feature a massive folk festival with an incredible array of international performers, but there is also a dog festival happening. In case you're unsure, we are playing the folk festival, not the dog festival. Although if we'd have known, we could have put together a repertoire of dog-based songs and then offered our services to the dog festival, thus making our trip to Calgary even more lucrative. There are loads of dog-related stalls, including including one selling dog hot tubs. I'm not sure how a dog hot tub differs from a human one. Surely there is no need for a different kind of hot tub, but perhaps I am wrong. Someone did suggest to me that maybe it's got a special filter in the deals of the fur. There's also the opportunity to pay $5 to kiss a dog. This is apparently an endeavour to raise money for charity. Okay, so we just want to say thanks for agreeing to support our charity with your festival. Oh, it's a pleasure. And we've got some very exciting news about what we're going to do to raise as much money as possible. Oh, oh, great. Go on. Five dollars to kiss a dog. What? Are you joking? Okay, okay, I take your point. Maybe $5 is a bit low for such an amazing prize. Maybe we should raise it to $10. I get what you're saying. No, 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 I mean, do you really seriously think that people would be scrambling to kiss a dog? I mean, normally, people just do raffles or a tombola. She's a very attractive dog. And I'm telling you, from experience, she's an incredible kisser. Seriously, you haven't lived until you've taken a smooch with that pooch. At our gig, I asked the audience whether they'd paid to kiss the dog, and no one said yes. So who are these people who are doing it? I mean, everyone in the audience might be lying, I suppose. It might be their guilty secret. Uh, sit down, dear. I've got some terrible news. Well, what is it, dear? This marriage uh, survived a lot, but what I'm about to tell you is pretty bad. I'm afraid we're broke. Completely broke. How? What, what have you done? Well, 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 the, the finer details aren't really important, but... Uh... Have you been gambling again? You promised me you'd given that up. No, 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 it's it's not gambling, dear. Then what is it? Well, well, uh, I don't know what, what came over me. What? Is it a drink? Are you back on the drink? You spend all the money on alcohol. No, no, it, it's it's not drink. It, it's, it's hard to explain. Tell me. Well, uh, well, you know that dog festival we went to? Yes. Well, you know they had the opportunity to kiss a dog for five dollars. Yes. Well, I... I kind of got a bit carried away. What? I snuck off when you were looking at the dog hot tubs, and I had a kiss with a dog. And then another, and another, and another. Before I knew it, I was paying on my credit card. And I just couldn't stop. I wondered where you went. So, you've put us in a financial quagmire because you've been paying to get off with a dog. What are we going to tell the children? We'll have to tell them that you've blown it all on drugs. We can't have them knowing the truth. The festival also has a hot dog stall. I know that hot dogs aren't actually made from dog. Well, there is a dodgy takeaway place in Hartlepool where it actually might be. But it seems a little odd to have all these dog-friendly stalls and then sell hot dogs. We're having a great time at Calgary Festival. I'm referring to the Dog Festival. To be honest, we've been enjoying the Dog Festival so much that we've not really managed to get to the Folk Festival. But our spots at the Folk Festival have been really enjoyable. People have been laughing a lot at what we're saying, although I'm not sure whether this is because they find what we're saying funny or are just amused by our voices, because people keep coming up to us and saying things like, You guys, your accents are hilarious. Everything you say just cracks me up. Yeah, a lot of people say... 
When I hear you guys, it's like listening to Monty Python. You'll say Monty Python. If there are any stand-up comedians listening to this, probably to steal all my amazing jokes, if I get tipped off that anyone is doing kissing dogs material, I'll be uh, very angry. I'd suggest a good place, though, to play if you are a stand-up comedian is Calgary, if you're an English stand-up comedian, because it doesn't matter how bad your jokes are, you'll get them laughing hysterically just at your English accent. So, we survived the storm, we survived the Spanish hitchhikers, but once again, our lives potentially hang in the balance. I am writing this in the car on a five-hour drive to Jasper, which is a place in Canada. We're not travelling all that way just to meet some random bloke, although I'm sure he's very nice. Jasper has been in the news recently for the fact that there have been a few people killed and injured by bears. Don't worry, though, because we've been armed with some important advice about what to do in case of a bear attack. Apparently, the trick is just to lie down and play dead. We've also been instructed to buy some bear spray, which you spray at the bears in an attempt to ward them off. I assume, though, that you have to make a choice between using the spray or employing the playing dead tactic. If you see a bear and then you spray it, it presumably knows that you're alive, and so if the spray doesn't work, you can't really resort to pretending to be dead, as the bears will know that you're still alive. Unless bears are just really stupid. We went into town earlier today to get some bear spray. Michael saw what seemed like the Canadian version of our pound shop and decided that we should get the spray there because it was much cheaper than the other stores. But I wasn't sure if it was particularly good idea to scrimp on something like this that is potentially going to save your life. Rawr! Rawr! This is me pretending to be a bear now. We're entering the mind of a bear. Just in case you wondered what was going on there. Rawr! Rawr! I see humans. Nice, juicy humans. Rawr! I'm going to eat them. Rawr! Oh, oh no! What's that? Damn! They've got a spray! No! They're spraying me! Retreat! Retreat! Rawr! Hang on! What the hell is that? Oh! <laughs> They've gone for the cheap dollar store spray! Pathetic! As if that's going to do anything! How stupid can you get? These humans really can be so incredibly naive and astoundingly unintelligent. <laughs> it's my lucky day! Oh, hang on! What's happening? They're lying down! Oh no! They must be dead! They must have all somehow mysteriously died at exactly the same time! Damn! Well, I don't want to eat dead meat! Oh, damn! Well, that's a real shame. Oh, well, better luck next time. <sighs> Yesterday, I took you into the mind of a compulsive dog kisser, and today we entered the mind of a bear. These dollops are truly pioneering. There is a weird part of me that would really love to be attacked by a bear. So long, of course, that it happened when I was recording an audio dollop. Imagine how dramatic it would be for people listening as I attempted to play dead while a bear prowled over me. Obviously, I'd be in a bit of a quandary here because I'd feel obliged to keep you informed of what was happening by commentating on it. But my commentary might arouse the bear's suspicions as to the veracity of my deadness. I think if that happened, it might prove to be an even more exciting dollop than the one from the bumper boat, having a water fight with children. We've passed loads of hitchhikers on this journey. Unfortunately, we can't pick them up because our car is completely full because Michael's girlfriend has joined us for the rest of the trip. And while she is lovely and it's great to have her with us, it now means that we won't be able to pick up any interesting people that I can dollop about. So there'll be no stories about hitchhiking to entertain you with, which is why I'm having to resort to imagining hungry bears in a monologue. Hopefully we shall survive this next bit of our adventure, although ominously we've just parked up at somewhere to get something to eat and it turns out the place is called dead man's flats. Is it a harbinger of our pending death as a result of a hungry bear? Stay tuned to find out.
We've had quite a few days off on this tour. This is because most of our bookings are at festivals which take place on the weekend, with the occasional gig in between. Obviously, it doesn't really make sense to keep popping back home, given that home is 5,000 miles away. I think the only band that might do something as crazy as that are the Proclaimers, who seem to have a different perspective on making crazily long-distance journeys for odd and spurious reasons. So, he's going to walk 1,000 miles, and the only reason is seemingly so that he can fall down at someone's door. If he's managed to walk all that way, you'd have thought that he might give the doorbell a ring rather than just slumping down by the door waiting for the person to open it and get the shock of their life when they see a delirious man lying on the ground staring back up at them this man has clearly got a mental illness and needs some help he's walked 1,000 miles just to lie down at a person's door and then when the door is opened he declares that he is going to constantly be with this person waking up with them getting drunk with them growing old with them. This poor person has only just woken up, only opened the door to see if the milkman had been, and now this is happening. A man declaring that he's going to spend the rest of his life with this person, in between making a series of weird noises. As I say, this person clearly has issues and needs medical help. Yesterday's day off consisted of us going on what was described as a wildlife tour and a hike. Our original plan was to drive somewhere and then go for a walk. But we were informed by someone at a tourism company that there wasn't anywhere to park the car. And so we should just go on an organised outing. With the benefit of hindsight, it's clear that this person was just trying to sell us something in order to make money. Because when we got to the place, there were loads of parking spaces. But instead, we paid a tour company to take us and a load of other people on a bus. Which spent the first 40 minutes ambling through the town, picking up various passengers. We then dawdled down the road, stopping every couple of minutes to look at wildlife. Jasper apparently has bears elk, deer and caribou. We stopped three times in 15 minutes to look at some sheep and another couple of times to check out some squirrels. Everyone else on the bus was 70 or older and didn't look cut out for hiking. One minute into the walk and it was clear that the word hike had been very misleading and had probably been deliberately used by the tour company to make it sound more appealing and sellable to us. Unless it was going to be a hike, in which case we'd probably be killing off a load of unfit pensioners. We lolloped around the park for about half an hour. We stopped to look at the lake. Not that we really needed to stop, because the speed that we were walking was practically akin to stopping anyway. Then we started again, and then a couple of minutes later we stopped again to look at the lake, from about 50 metres from where we'd looked at it previously. We did this for about half an hour, actually. I understand, we did that for about an hour. Then we got back on the bus and began the slow journey home, while the tour guide told us stories of bears, elk and deer, in between us periodically stopping to look at another sheep, squirrel or stretch of lake. The whole thing took six hours. If we'd have done this journey by ourselves, we could have done it in one hour. One of the other reasons for the length of the time of the journey, in addition to the fact that we spent 90 minutes of it picking up people and dropping them off, half an hour to look at sheep, squirrels and stretches of lake, and then walking at a painfully slow speed, was because we also made lots of toilet stops about every half hour. But the day was quite fun, if not for the intended reasons. The people that we were on the tour with were friendly and interesting, and we had a good time chatting and joking with them. Being in folk music, we were used to hanging around with pensioners. And then, right at the end of the tour, a bear came out onto the roadside. 
We shouldn't stop for too long because we're, uh, we are running a bit late, said the tour guide. When everyone got all excited about seeing the bear and naturally wanted to stop. The reason we were running a bit late was because we'd stopped for half an hour to look at sheep. We stopped for a few minutes while people took photos. Even I managed to see the bear through the bus window. Although, to be honest, I couldn't really tell much of a difference between it and a sheep. Obviously that's because I'm blind, in case he was starting to question the level of my basic intelligence. Today is the gig that I talked about in Dollop 197, which describes our music as Celtic country. Here is the write-up for our gig. Celtic or country? Which one to choose? Well, this week, you don't have to choose, because we've got both the young'uns. Alas, we never managed to procure a harp or a sly guitar and learn a whole new repertoire based on this strange unknown genre that we're apparently meant to do. There is a chance, though, that we might be saved the awkwardness of performing English folk music to an expectant crowd of Celtic country aficionados because it's an outdoor gig and currently there is a massive thunderstorm happening and the meteorological office have issued a severe storm warning. We might just get away with this yet. Last night's gig was really good. It turns out that the reason that it was called a Celtic country night is because there was a band on before us who played country. It seems as if in Canada and America, the word Celtic is used as a very broad term simply to encompass the non-countryside of folk. The country act was a duo, which included a man who went by the name Fat Man. This seemed an odd choice of name because he wasn't at all fat. In fact, he was rather thin. When I asked him why he was called Fat Man, he said that it was because he was thin. There was a pause while I waited for the rest of this explanation, but it never came. So I made what I thought would come across as a puzzled face. Given that I've never seen a puzzled face before, I'm not sure what one looks like, and so I'm not really sure how to make one. I assume that if I am puzzled, then my face will probably naturally just do the gesture automatically, without the need for any effort on my part. But I can't be sure. Obviously, my face will automatically form into a smile when I'm happy, even though I've never seen a smile. This suggests that smiling is an automatic thing that just happens, rather than it being a learnt thing from seeing it and then mirroring it. I know how to smile, regardless of having never received that information from the external world. It's presumably an automatic, instinctive, inbuilt thing, hardwired into us from birth. I think that the thing that gets me the most about being blind is not being able to communicate visually. It's frustrating whenever I hear phrases like, Our eyes met across a crowded room, or... I knew by her eyes what she was thinking. Really? I have to rely on people telling me what they're thinking to know what they're thinking. Her eyes said it all. No, they bloody didn't. If you want to say it all, I'm afraid you're going to have to say it all. Or at least say some of it. I've heard loads of stories about how two people met and fell in love because they saw each other from across the room and then smiled. Then they'll say something like, it took us ages to finally pluck up the courage to talk to each other. Yet, when they do speak to each other, they are not strangers. They have a history, a connection. They have talked to each other long before they've talked to each other. But this is completely alien and impossible for me. On a few occasions, I've been in a bar and a friend has said that a girl is smiling at me from across the room. Brilliant! But what am I meant to do with that information? I can't smile back at her because I have no idea who she is or where she is. If I did ask a friend to turn me in the direction of where she was so that I can try and smile at her, then I'm doubtful that this would have positive results. I'd constantly need a commentary on what was going on. This would mean that my friend would have to be looking at her as well, which would make her feel a bit anxious. She's just smiled at me, and then the man next to me is swivelling my head around, pointing and whispering in my ear every time that she smiles. I think it's safe to say that the smiling wouldn't last much longer. 
Plus, how do I know how long to smile for? What kind of smile to do? I don't know how to smile. It just happens automatically. But I need the right smile. I don't want to grin at her or smirk. It needs to be just the right smile. A smile of acknowledgement. A friendly hello smile. A smile that says just enough. And that can't be learned because it involves interacting with what the other person is communicating. I can't do a smile of acknowledgement because I haven't acknowledged. There's a girl smiling at you from across the room, mate. All right, okay, brilliant. Position my head to where she is and then tell me when she's looking. Okay, okay, keep your head there, mate. Okay, okay, she's looking now. Smile, quick, smile. Shh, keep your voice down. She'll hear you. What kind of smile? Oh, you missed your chance. She's talking to her friends now. That would have been the perfect moment. But I don't know what kind of smile to do. Let me try a few on you to see which one works. Let me know which is the best. I want a smile that basically is casual. It's a friendly hello. Nothing over the top. Too arrogant. Just a friendly hello. Okay, face me and try some out. Okay, how about this one? What? No, you look like you're constipated. Okay, what about this? No, you look like a psycho killer. Okay, how how about this? Uh, yeah, that's more like it. And how long should I do that for, do you think? Well, it depends on her response. I'll look over your shoulder and see how she's reacting. And we'll just judge it from there. Won't that look a bit weird? And if you're looking over my shoulder, I don't see what choice we have. Okay, now, this is going to be fast moving. Eye contact is very quick paced and involves instinctive responses based on what the other person is doing. I'll be shouting instructions to you as we go. Ready? Uh, okay. Right, here we go. Tilt your head up, left, move it left, right a bit. Left a bit. Right a bit. Stop. That's it. Okay. Okay, she's looking. Quick, smile. Stop. Stop smiling. Look down. She's looking down at the ground coyly. Do the same. That's it. Now, head up again. Smile. Smile. Okay, okay, that's brilliant. A slightly wider smile. Stop. Look down again. What's happening now? Uh, she's just walked out of the pub very quickly. What smile did you do? Uh, I don't know. It was all so fast. I think I did this. Bloody hell, mate. You look like a constipated psycho killer. Anyway, as I was saying before this lengthy inadvertent sidetrack, apparently Fat Man is called that because he's actually thin. I made a puzzled face. And then he said, Are you okay? You look constipated. No, he didn't really say that. It was just me being hilarious there. He said that it was an ironic name, like when people say bad to mean good. He was called Fat Man because he was actually a thin man. I pretended to understand out of politeness, so I didn't point out his misuse of the word ironic. The Canadians seem to have difficulty understanding the word ironic. Alanis Morissette is a prime example. It's like rain on your wedding day. No, it's not. It was raining the day before, and it wasn't your wedding day. It's annoying, but it's not ironic. It's just the weather. It's a no smoking sign on your cigarette break. No, it's not Alanis. If the no smoking sign only materialised whenever you went for a cigarette break, then you might have a point. But that no smoking sign was there when you didn't have a cigarette break. Just walk a little further and then you'll be fine to smoke. That's called mild inconvenience. Not irony. It's a free ride when you've already paid. Well, no, not really. That's just weird. I mean, if it was a free ride and you've already paid for some strange reason, I'm not sure why you've already paid, you know, presumably there's been a bit of a misunderstanding, just ask for the money back. After all, it's a free ride. Or maybe you could just say that they could keep the money as a donation towards the fuel. I suppose you could argue that the concept of a free ride that you pay for is a good definition of an oxymoron. But let's not add another linguistic term to the mix, given that you seem to be struggling with the notion of irony. If you'd written a song called Isn't It Oxymoronic, then a free ride when you've paid is a great example. Good lyric. It's like meeting the man of your dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. 
No, he's not. Because if he's the man of your dreams, then chances are he's the man of someone else's dreams as well. He's probably very attractive. And it's highly likely that lots of other people will find him attractive as well as you. And it's very likely that he'll therefore have a beautiful wife. It's not ironic. It's just basic probability. If you'd written a song called Isn't It Just Basic Probability, then you could get away with that. That's a good lyric. After the show, I went up to Fat Man to congratulate him on a really great performance. That was awful, I happily told him. Oh, really? Oh, I thought that it went okay. He sounded a bit upset with my praise. This whole Canadian irony thing is very confusing. We've just been to the bank. This is the first Canadian bank that I've ever been in, and so I don't know if this is common in Canada. Upon entering this place, we were handed a free cupcake. Then we were brought to a desk with a big wheel at the centre of it, which we were told to spin. Michael spun it and won $10. Sean spun it and won $10. I spun it and also won $10. We'd only been in this bank for a minute, and already we were $30 and three cupcakes richer. What would happen next? Will we get the option to simply pay our money in or take a gamble? If it lands on red, then we get our money doubled. But if it lands on black, then we lose it all. The bank also had a drive through We stayed in another youth hostel last night. The beds all had name tags on them with the names of the people who were staying in the hostel. I'd been chosen to be the person to sleep underneath Simon Mack. Sleeping under Simon Mack was a lot less fart-filled and painful than the drunken, well-built French vegetarian that I lay underneath at the hostel in England. Simon was on the thin side, and I mean this in a literal sense of the word thin, not the confusing Canadian country singer's definition of the word thin. And so, when he got into bed, he nimbly sprung into it, without a single groan or fart. Comparatively speaking, it was a pleasure to be lying underneath Simon Mack. Again, this is just comparatively speaking. If I had a choice to not lie under any men, then obviously, of course, I would have taken that choice. But given that I had to lie underneath someone, Simon Mack was a good man to be lying underneath. Oh dear. I thought that I was alone in this room. Sean has gone for a walk. Michael has gone for a helicopter ride. And I thought that I heard Simon leave. The room was very quiet, so I just assumed I was by myself. So I didn't bother putting my headphones on, so that everything I've been typing has been read out loudly by my screen reader. And then I heard a movement above me. Simon Mack hurriedly got out of bed, put his clothes on, and very quickly left the room. I suppose you could say that he left in a bit of a Mack flurry. It's pretty likely that he's just heard everything that I've written about him. I imagine it'd be rather harrowing to wake up and hear your name repeatedly spoken by a robotic voice saying about how much of a pleasure it was to lie underneath you. We all went out last night and after a few drinks decided that it would be a fun idea to welcome Simon Mack to our dormitory by playing the 90s pop song by Mark Morrison, Return of the Mack, when he entered the room. When we got back to the hostel, Simon Mack still hadn't returned to the room. We sat up talking for an hour or so, my finger poised over the button, ready to play the chorus of the song at the moment that he arrived. Return of the Mac! It is! Return of the Mac! Come on! Return of the Mac! Oh my God, here I am! We could play the song and then sing along, and he would laugh, and we would laugh, and we would chat and joke until the early hours of the morning, thanks to our perfect icebreaker. You might even join in with the song, singing the Here I Am bit himself. Wouldn't that be brilliant? But then, as time ticked on, we got more and more tired and the effects of the alcohol began to wear off, and the idea seemed a lot less fun than it had before. We began to talk ourselves out of it. He might find it rather intimidating and weird to enter a room, and then be immediately greeted by three strangers singing, Return of the Mac! to him. So we turned off the light, 
and went to sleep instead. It was another couple of hours before Simon Mack entered the room and lightly sprung into his bed, and so it's a good job that we didn't wait up for him. 